Hello and welcome to another episode of the British English Podcast. That is right. That is the show that you have tuned into. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to this week's one. And uh, it's a special one, as is every week, isn't it? Yes. But this week is extra special because I managed to get a British polyglot on the show. A polyglot. A person who speaks many languages. But I assume you might know that one, considering you love learning languages. Considering you might be a polyglot. I don't know. I don't know. Are you a polyglot? Anyway, it's pretty rare to get a British polyglot because, well, British people aren't very well known for being good foreign language learners. But I managed to find one. But he's not here just to show off that he can speak eight languages to at least a conversational level because he's actually a very well-established author of over 30 language learning books. And as I had been using one of them to learn Spanish... I thought it would be great to interview him about his methods, his motivations, any tips he has for language learners like yourself at an intermediate to advanced level, and to learn more about his journey, as I am rather impressed by it all. And I do want to say, before we get into this conversation, after listening back to it myself, I'd like to suggest you try to keep an ear out for the large amount of native expressions Ollie uses. Not so much the vocabulary. I mean, there is plenty of that there. But when I was making the glossaries, I really picked up on the frequency of native collocations Ollie uses. He uses fairly understandable vocabulary, but in a sentence structure that I don't hear many non-native students using. So yeah, keep an ear out for that. And he also uses a nice vocabulary from time to time. But particularly, I enjoyed the native collocations. So yeah, the glossaries will definitely help you with this, as will the transcripts, which you can get over on thebritishenglishpodcast.com. And if you don't want to get them, at least get the free glossary, some of the native collocations he used in part one. And you can get that at thebritishenglishpodcast.com forward slash freebies f-r-e-e-b-i-e-s freebies okay so without further ado please enjoy a conversation between myself charlie baxter and ollie richards hello ollie thank you very much for being here how are you today it's an absolute pleasure i'm uh, i'm really good and it's nice to be talking with you wonderful wonderful stuff we're here today because ollie i i read some of ollie's work years ago as I was learning Spanish, and um, it's kind of come full circle for me because um, I, I don't know how I came across. I, I think it was because you had a video with Lucy on on YouTube. Did you do that recently? That was a recent one, yeah. So I saw that, and I, and then I saw that you were doing these short stories, and I was like, okay, looked onto it, and then I realised that that's the thing that I've been I was reading many years ago. So. I was just like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And I looked into your stuff and I thought it would be great to get you on here to better understand the importance of storytelling. Before we get into storytelling, can you maybe tell us a little bit about how you got into this kind of industry of of language learning and teaching language? Yeah, so it's a long story, but I'll keep it short. So I... um... I kind of grew up um, without any background in languages whatsoever, but I, I got really interested in languages when I was about 19 years old and I was living in London and suddenly met people from all around the world. So there were people, you know, meeting people from Italy, from, from Switzerland, Sweden, Japan. And I just thought, wow, there's a big wide world out there. I only speak English and I feel a little bit inadequate. So I started learning other languages 
and spent mo- you know most of my 20s kind of traveling learning languages just you know really having lots of fun when i was um about 28 i started teaching languages as well so i started teaching english and i i taught english for a little bit in japan and then in the middle east as well i took teaching quite seriously got very highly qualified as a teacher did a diploma masters degree all this stuff and then one day i thought I want to start writing about this stuff because I I feel like I've got such a lot of experience with languages. I want to help other people learn. So I started a little blog that was called I Will Teach You a Language. I was kind of basically blogging about my experience learning languages, things that worked for me. And so I kind of started this blog as as a way to just bring some creativity back into my life. But I think what I did quite well was I managed to marry up the, on the one hand, my experience of learning lots of languages. I, I've, I've learned eight languages with my experience of actually teaching languages. So I was able to kind of talk about language learning in a way that not many other people were. And so the, the blog became very successful. And then I moved on to do other things like starting a YouTube channel, which people can find on, on YouTube by searching Ollie Richards. And then I started writing books and now I've published over... I'm losing track now, somewhere between 30 or 40 books, many of which are with, with, with Teach Yourself, books of short stories and things like that. And I have a podcast called the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. And of course, a, a website, which is uh, actually changing very soon. It's going to be changing to storylearning.com because story learning is what I, what I call my, my method of learning languages with stories. So, so, so yeah, it's been a, a long, long journey. And good news is I've got lots more ideas to come as well. I feel like you should, be, you should look at least 50, 60 years old. <laughs> I've, been, I've been working hard. I've been working hard last, uh, last seven years or so. I feel like you've got this kind of um, teaching industry kind of Elon Musk vibe going on the hyper productive kind of thing i just like making stuff you know i really like making stuff and one of the reasons i loved teaching was i really like just designing really cool lessons when i did my celta my delta uh tra- teacher training courses i was so happy because i was just you know just geeking out on these lessons like building a really creative ways of teaching for me all, all this stuff that i'm doing like writing books and making videos it's just it's just creativity and i think when you do something that you enjoy it doesn't feel like work and so you can do more and more and more so so yeah i, I just i just i'm, I'm just, i just love making stuff yeah and uh do you have a personal uh like a social life do you have any time for yeah, that i mean i don't i don't work a great deal these days really i mean i i have in the past i've worked extremely hard but I, my business is at a point now where i have a wonderful team of people who run the business and i have more time to um to to put into new projects and things like that so uh yeah in, in in the last year or so i've um actually got a fair amount of free time what are you doing with it uh, so i go to the gym quite a lot i go on long walks and when i kind of listen listen to audiobooks um i would be traveling if i could but i can't so i'm just kind of you know i, I live in the, in the countryside in the uk in, in, the, in the southwest in a lovely lovely place called devon so I often kind of just drive down to the beach, take a walk on the beach, listen to a, listen to an audiobook and drink coffee and, um, and spend time learning languages. I like cooking. But yeah, lots of exercise, lots of lots of learning. And then I kind of make videos on my YouTube channel, which is fun. Yes. Yeah. So how long have you been active on YouTube? Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's kind of funny because I actually started my YouTube channel right back at the beginning when I first started my website, because for me, because I was because I was blogging about language learning, I wanted to show people that I could speak languages. And so YouTube for me was a way to kind of put videos on my blog to show people that I, you know, I wasn't just, I wasn't just uh, writing about learning Portuguese or whatever. I could actually speak it. So I would, I would just, 
but but I never really took YouTube seriously, and that's why I think my channel never really grew that much because I was just making stuff to go on my blog, you know. But then a, a few months ago, I actually decided, right, I want to take YouTube seriously because I've noticed I've got friends like you mentioned Lucy before. Uh, you know, I've got they've got friends who have amassed like six million subscribers, and I'm like, hang on, why have I only got thirty five thousand? If if Lucy's got six million, some so I, I and then I realized I'd never actually learned how to do YouTube. So a few months ago, I kind of like started studying how to do YouTube and started making it like different kinds of videos and uh, taking it more seriously. And so I like to say that I've been YouTubing for about three months because that's the length of time I've been doing it seriously. But uh, but it's actually been more like seven years. Three months. I I think that's. I think a bit like um, learning a language, like um, I always ask, how long have you been actively participating in learning it rather than just like it's there, it's kind of in the background. Schools maybe taught you it a little bit, but you haven't really absorbed it. That's a good, it's a good analogy, really. I, yeah. But yeah, no, I, st- I started working on, on my YouTube channel properly in at the end of January this year. So it's been about three months and the, and the channel has grown about, uh, about you know, 30% in the last three months which is, um, so I feel like I'm on the right track and I've got so many things. Like, I just love making language content. I love making content about language learning, you know, ideas, help, helping people with ideas of how to learn languages with stories and things like that, looking at other great language learners and analyzing their methods. I just like making stuff. So, so yeah, I, I, I really just kind of try to enjoy the process. Yeah, I can tell from your book. So I got these in Spanish. Is, uh, are the stories the same in, in all languages or are they different depending on certain types? Good question. Yeah. So from what in one volume, so for example, uh, the beginner stories, volume one, they are the same stories a- across every different language, but they have, it's not just a, a straight translation. They have been localized. So for example, if there's a story that takes place in Spain in the Spanish book, then it will take place in Italy in the Italian book, but they are essentially the same stories. That's actually a really, a really, a really good benefit for people because if you do like to learn multiple languages, then what you can do, if you've read the Spanish book, then you can pick up the Italian book. And because you already understand the story and know the plot, then as we say in, a, in, the, in the teaching world, meaning is taken care of, which means you can focus on the form. So you can focus on the actual, uh, on the vocabulary and the grammar and notice how it's being used because you already know the story. So I like to, I like to think of it, think of it as, a big, uh, as a big benefit to have those stories the same. But then when we go to the intermediate books, those are completely different stories, obviously. And then we're about to release volume two of the beginner series. Those are different stories as well. Although I'm going to ask about the intermediate one, because I was listening to the audiobook of the short stories in English. I think I was listening to this one, the yeah. audiobook, And it was of uh, one of the stories was of a guy trying to get into a nightclub. And I definitely remember doing that in Spanish. Well, you must have read the intermediate Spanish book then. Yeah. So, oh, so the intermediates are the same as well. I think you say yeah, the so beginner the, all, all, one is the same. All the beginner languages are the same. So beginner English, beginner Spanish, beginner French, beginner Japanese, whatever. They're all the same. But then the intermediate ones are also all the same. They're different stories from the beginner, but they're all the, they're the same across different languages, if that makes oh, sense. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. So the levels, yeah, 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 I see what you mean. So you've written completely different stuff for the beginners and the intermediates, but in the language you can cross over. Exactly, exactly yeah. That's Got right. it. Got it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Because it, it was really bringing back memories of like me being in Chile, traveling across like south of in 
actually going up this volcano that I was listening to this this story and I was like oh wow this is amazing I love um I love hearing stories about when people like like DM me on Instagram or whatever or email me and say so like what you've just said I'm just reading your book on top of a, vol- of a volcano in Chile I really love hearing like these stories of the different places that people are using my my material because people are using it all all around the world in different places in, in, in some really crazy situations and I find that very very rewarding to hear those stories so yeah thanks for thanks for telling yeah. me yeah yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I like seeing when um, when people are like just on Instagram, they're, they're saying where they're listening to my podcast or something. And I just see a glimpse of, of what their day is like. I really like seeing how they're using that for the audio. Can I just um, just go over these short stories a little bit more? So um, you've got the, the beginner one here and then the intermediate one here. What what kind of came first for you? Did you did you think let's go beginner and then intermediate? I'm just going to interrupt this episode by telling you about an ebook and audiobook that Harry and I have done for anyone preparing for the IELTS exam. But this isn't just any old ebook slash audiobook. It is a highly intelligent and incredibly thorough one. You see, we noticed how many of our exam preparation students were stressing themselves out over studying long lists of idioms and phrasal verbs before exam day came, and then they didn't even get a chance to use 10% of what they had learnt in the exam. And after studying the marking criteria and really thinking about how often our students should be using idiomatic language in the exam, we took a step back and thought... If the examiner is only really wanting to hear a handful of idioms in the learner's answers, as any more would in fact be unnatural or overkill, meaning too much, if we curated a very short list of idioms that could be used to answer pretty much any IELTS question, well, that way the the student is able to go into the exam with these select idioms ready to use in whatever question that comes up. And you know what? It's really working. I won't go on about it anymore now, but if you did want to get your hands on these 10 idioms that Harry and I have curated specifically for anyone preparing for an English exam like the IELTS test, arm yourself with these 10 phrases that can be used in so many ways really easily and be given an incredibly thorough teaching process for each one to ensure you not only remember the phrase, but you know exactly how to use them like a native would, then, hey, today is your lucky day because we are giving it away for free. And all you need to do is find it in the show notes of this episode, head over to thebritishenglishpodcast.com and find it in the homepage, or just like the free worksheet for this episode, go to thebritishenglishpodcast.com forward slash freebies that is f-r-e-e-b-i-e-s okay enough about the ebook and audiobook but hope you like it and let's get back to this week's episode what what kind of came first for you did you did you think let's go beginner and then intermediate yeah and the reason was that they did they did they didn't start in english so i wrote the first book in spanish actually and so i was intending aiming it for you know english speakers learning spanish and so it made more sense to begin with the beginner book 
I think if if I had been doing it prim- primarily for the English learning market, then I might have started with an intermediate version because, you know, reading, I mean, something we try to encourage students at all levels, isn't it? But it's something that people start to do a bit more of at intermediate level, I, I find. But yeah, no, but, but it began with the beginner books because it was everything. At the, the first book I wrote as an experiment back in 2015 or something was for Spanish uh, learners. It was the beginner book and then the intermediate Spanish. Was that your second one? I'm just trying to think of, um, I listened to the intermediate. No, I listened to the beginner. Oh, I'm confused now. No, I must have listened to the intermediate spanish yes i listened to that yeah you must have you must have done yeah, you yeah, must have. yeah, yeah those, yeah, those yeah, stories yeah. about the nightclub that's that's the intermediate version yeah yeah so you you wrote that after the the beginner spanish is your second book? correct yeah so so basically i wrote the beginner books it did really well in spanish so I, so I made it into other languages and then i thought okay well what next i could kind of go into some more obscure languages like you know swahili or something or I could write an intermediate version. And I thought that made more sense because lots of people learning, you know, languages like Spanish and English and Italian are, are intermediate. So that, that made sense. So it began with the beginner and then intermediate. And then I went back and did beginner volume two. And then, you know, who knows, you may end up doing uh, intermediate volume two as well. I mean, my, my publishers teach yourself, they're, they're, they're wonderful, but the publishing world moves very, very slowly. And it's not uncommon for an idea for a book from idea to actually being on the shelves, it can take two years, you know? Um, so I can't do stuff as fast as I used to, which is a kind of a, kind of a constraint, but it does mean that the final books, when we actually get them out there, they are like top quality. Um, so because, you know, cause t- teach yourself to do a much better job than I could actually making these wonderful imprints and, um, and artwork and things like that. So I want to talk a little bit more about storytelling and like the psychology behind it all. But um, before we do, I just wanted to to check. So when you when you translate, you said that you're thinking locally. Are you doing it yourself or are you getting somebody else to do it? No, translation is something that is very difficult to get right and can generally only be done by native speakers translating into their own language. So, for example, when I wrote the original Spanish, um, you know, I, I'm not a native Spanish speaker. So I was writing them in Spanish, but I had to have help to make sure that, you know, they were it was you know error free and totally natural. And then, but then when we would translate that into say Norwegian, we would have a Norwegian editorial team who who take the original and then and then work on translating it into Norwegian. Uh, so so yeah, I'm not I'm not doing this m- myself. Like um, that's translation is a very specialist thing, and, and uh, people study people study a whole lifetime to do that. And and even then, they will generally only translate into their into their mother tongue. The other question I wanted to ask about the books is: quite a few of my students are asking, "What can I read as a upper intermediate to advanced, maybe even C two kind of advanced?" And other than like the whole world of literature that's all down to taste, I don't really know what ESL resources to suggest to to them. Do you think about doing an advanced thing, and if not, why? This episode comes with a free worksheet over on the website, thebritishenglishpodcast.com. So grab that and you can listen along whilst using it. Yeah, it's funny. I, I've actually been getting asked that a lot recently. See, my my philosophy has always been, look, if you, c- if you are a B2, if you can reach a B2 level then the next step is to read native level material. I think you need help and support to get up to that B1 and B2 level. And that's what my books are aimed at. But really at B2, the best thing that we can do as teachers, I think, is to encourage our students to read native material. Because, 
yes, it's challenging, but you you can understand it enough. Literature is difficult because it's very the language used is much more artistic and it's much more it uses much more kind of flowery language. So I think the key really is to not try to force people to read certain things, but rather to get them to read around their own tastes and their own interests. So, you know, for example, uh, nonfiction tends to be a lot easier than fiction. So if you are somebody who doesn't particularly um, like, if, for example, if you don't read books, you don't read novels in your mother tongue, then you're not going to enjoy reading them when you're learning English. So what I would always do is ask a student, go, what do you read in your mother tongue? Oh, you read books on, um, on, on business because uh, you're, you're starting a business. Great. Go and read business books in English. And so try to follow, try to follow your interests and, and read what you would read in, in your mother tongue. And then, you know, it, if it's nonfiction, that makes it a little bit easier because nonfiction tends to be a lot more pragmatic and less le- with less flowery, flowery language. So that's what I would try to do. It's uh, certainly what I've done in my languages. I've always tried to start reading native material from uh, at a much earlier stage, really kind of, you know, B1 and above. I think that it's worth it's difficult, but it's worth it because it pays off so much later on once you can actually read freely and for pleasure in the language. But having said that, I've had so many people recently ask me for advanced stories. It's made me think it might go against my philosophy a little bit. But hey, if people want it, then um, you know I've always tried to make the things that people want. Maybe there's a demand for that. Uh, I'd, what I'd have to do is I'd have to think what. So let's say I was writing s- stories for an, at an advanced level, say so C1 level. I'd have to think about what are the, the what are the elements of language that are difficult for people at a C1 level. And I mean, you know, what, what, what would you say, Charlie? What do you think for, for a C1 level student who would like to read fiction, but still finds it difficult? What, what are the specific things that you think they would need? The main things that I point out is the, the native way of using phrasal verbs. A boring one, but prepositions is always quite tricky and idioms still is always needed. But yeah, I think phrasal verbs and cultural references mm. at that point are the ones that they're missing. I think I think it would co- work quite well because yeah. So I think what I'd have to do in that scenario is I'd have to kind of write stories which are not too hard. Maybe stories at a kind of B two level, but then we do kind of, we kind of pepper in, so we just throw in, scatter in, scatter around little bits of more difficult language, so that the kind of base level of the of the story isn't too hard. But then because you've got some difficult difficult idiomatic language and expressions, phrasal verbs. It's an opportunity for, you, for the for the reader to focus on on those without also having to wade through this kind of quagmire, this marsh, this swamp of of difficult language across the board. Yes, that's yeah, that's good. Yeah, I also thought after that that um, tenses like using the perfects properly would be a nice addition if you could make an intermediate or b2 and then like make a, an advanced one with different tenses like really layering up the tense timeline that would be quite interesting for the for the learner perhaps yeah and talking about more more abstract concepts as well uh, because one of the things we try to do in the in the beginner and intermediate books is we, we try to keep it fairly concrete certainly at the lower level at intermediate you can introduce more vocabulary but we're not talking about very, very like two abstract ideas because that, that can be a bit tricky so yeah i you know i i'm i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna do this i, I think i think it's time <laughs> yeah, yeah, you come back in two years and <laughs> i haven't done let's look into storytelling a little bit more i imagine that you've got a lot to say on the just the idea of that word storytelling you've got a um a mind map that goes in many directions very far but what i was instantly amazed with or yeah, impressed with was that I was gripped by your storytelling. 
like the actual it was quite simple but it was so I was emotionally involved straight away how how did you did you stumble across that is that natural to you or did you start to like realize how to do it over a while did you and let me but let me ask before i answer that let me ask you is that something that is that an experience that you had reading in reading the spanish i probably was i can't remember that far back but i was talking about the audiobook that i listened to last week in english so it was intermediate english and normally i get a little bit bored with most things but i was gripped i really wanted to know what happened with the <laughs> with the girls yeah i mean it's great that you it's great that you um that you that you feel that and that's obviously what I'm aiming for. I, I kind of, I honestly, I, I see, I'm not so sure that there's anything particularly special about these stories. I just consider them to be good stories written well. That's what, what, I, what I aim for. I, I think, you know, I suspect that it's not so much that my stories are so phenomenal. It's just that most English learning material is so boring that as soon as you find something that's like not completely rubbish, it, it just stands out a mile. And that's really what I've tried to do with these books across the board. Like I've always been a big fan of graded readers. I think they're, they're so extensive reading is, is just such an important part of learning. But every time I picked up a graded reader in, in a language I was learning or had to recommend one for my English students, it would be like, you know, Charles Dickens and Jane Austen. I was like, oh, come on, man, give me something more, give me something fresher, give me something more modern. But there was just nothing out there. So I was just trying to write things that, that were just interesting. So I'm really pleased that you like the stories. I, I really can't claim any particular any particular genius there other than trying to write a really, really good story and varying the genres as well. So, you know, I'm I'm quite careful to include lots of different genres of story. So, you know, we've got you've got sci-fi, you've got some you've got crime, um, you've got sort of slight kind of horror type things, historical fiction. Um, there's a whole bunch of um you know, different, different genres. You know, I have studied writing. I know how to write a story arc. I know how to write, you know, the, the development of a story, but that's nothing special. Like that, that's, that's, you know, for anybody to learn out there who takes an interest, I guess it's just, that's the value of having, of having comp what's known as compelling input in language learning, right? So it's not just, it's not just about your text containing the grammar you want to learn. It's about it being compelling so that you actually want to read it. Because when you can get to a point where you actually want, genuinely want to read stuff, then you don't need a teacher anymore because you're just going to be reading it and you're going to be getting so much input that you can just learn uh, learn independently. It most definitely is compelling, yeah. I, I highly recommend it to anyone, especially at the intermediate level. So, if you wanted to listen to the full conversation, you can easily become a premium podcast member and get access to all parts of this conversation. And if you want to join a bunch of passionate learners and want to get a good grip on British culture in the most fun and effective way, then head over to the thebritishenglishpodcast.com and join the Academy. Thank you very much for your time. So your short stories are available for anyone in the intermediate or beginner area. Any other areas that people can go to or, or things i mean your, your youtube channel obviously is one that we can point people towards and i'll put everything in the the show notes in the description box anything you'd like to me to tell people so best things for people to do they'd like to find out more about about me and what i do is uh find me on youtube so go to youtube uh, maybe charlie can put a link uh, below in the in the description you can just search for ollie richards on youtube uh, if you like a podcast you can go to the i will teach you a language podcast um, or you can go to my website at storylearning.com where there's lots of articles around language learning and also other other training courses for, for English learners as well. 
Or if you want to learn another language, if you want to learn Spanish or French or Japanese through stories, we have uh, lots of courses available there as well. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Ollie. My pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Cheers, Charlie.